0: Hello, everyone. Uh, Today is a very exciting day for me. I've been so looking forward to our next guest. Kelly Corrigan is a shero of mine she's an incredible author of five and a half books she's a girl mom that I look up to so much she talks a lot on her incredible podcast Kelly Corrigan wonders I'm sure many of you have heard of it and she's also the host of the PBS show tell me more she talks a lot about her life her journey grief joy wisdom curiosity and I just want you to know Kelly I'm thrilled to have you here Hi, how are you? You may oh, miss Northern California. Oh, well then come on back. Come back and see us. Yeah. Um, Kelly, I, I remember so clearly. I, I remember where I was, kind of, you know, how I was, what I was doing when I read your book, The Middle Place, which is the mm-hmm. your first book and the book that that really um it not only made me know about you, but it made me know about this idea of vulnerable storytelling, um, especially as it relates to grief. And there was just something in that first book that like grabbed hold of my heart and made me want to know you. Um, And so I just have been really honored over these past few years to get to know you and to see your work in action. So I just want to thank you for that. I'll start with that.
1: Welcome. I thank Anne Lamott for that because it was her book about her first year as a mother with her son, Sam, it's called Operating Instructions. I bet lots of people listening have read it. Yes, I love that book. I had, you know, I was an English major in college and then I have a master's in English Lit that I got at night when I was working at United Way in San Francisco. And then at night I was getting uh, this master's at San Francisco State. And so I was reading like Dickens and Shakespeare. And I just didn't have an awareness that there were writers like Anne Lamott who were Mm -hmm. writing in that unguarded tone that could still have you know could still pack a punch i mean she moved me and i was not when i read it i was not a mom i was totally single and had no sense of where my life was leading and still she had me on every page and reading that book really changed what i thought was possible for me as a writer because if you're reading the best of the best, if you're reading the classics, if you're reading stuff that has withstood the test of time and is taught in graduate schools, you're not going to feel particularly capable of jumping in. But when you read someone who is sort of walking this line between pretty profound, but in a very ordinary tongue and and telling stories from her life rather than working inside a novel or a fiction. That was, that was a big aha for me. It was like, Oh, maybe I could do this. Maybe this is what I could do.
0: Well, I, I mean, that's such a beautiful segue to our conversation because so much of what I think happens when we are trying to, create our next chapter or find clarity in our lives is, is we start seeking and we start, whether it's consciously or, or subconsciously, we start seeking for the pathways that feel like there's light in them, right? Like when I read your book, it did this, it really did that for me. It illuminated a path that I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me before that storytelling could be that vulnerable, that raw that, and and also just that the day-to-day humanness of it. And so I feel like we don't know how we're impacting people. And and Anne Lamott impacted you in a beautiful book that I also love. And you paid that forward to impact me and millions of others. And I, I just think there's such a, a really beautiful snowball, creative human effect that, that's kind of unknowable right? Mm-hmm. We, we have no idea the impact that we can make in like one drop at a time.
1: Yeah. And I just feel like it's a, it's a testament to the idea of staying porous, mm. you know, like let things affect you and, and then be observant. Like, you know, I, I used to, I say to the girls, you know, keep a running inventory on your moods, especially your most extreme moods. And if you have that, you get flooded with a little adrenaline and you're moving kind of fast and you're talking kind of fast and you're taking steps more quickly than you normally do towards something like let that be the signal you need that (sighs) you're on to something and if you find yourself dragging your feet and if you find yourself avoiding that's something to investigate too and it just may mean that you're trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. It it just may be some kind of indicator or or signal
0: that your, your behavior is trying to tell you something. Right. It's interesting is it? it reminds me of, you know, I think one of the things that you do so beautifully on your podcast is you're, you're such an active listener. Like it's, it's just so, I can almost see you listening when I hear, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, and I, But what you're saying is that that active listening is internal as well. Like to be really attentive to what those, like for your daughters, what, where, what's the range? What are the emotions that are lighting your fire? And what are the ones that are dragging you down? Yes. And and your emotions, um,
1: you know, they're trying to talk to you. Mm -hmm. So like every day before you go to lacrosse practice, you have like a knot in your stomach that's interesting. That's like really mm. worth thinking about. And it's, if and every time you take out a book, you feel the knot untie and you feel your shoulders drop. Super interesting. Good data. I like that data. Like as a source. I feel like sometimes we outsmart ourselves, like we outthink ourselves. Like we're we're there's all this evidence that gets overridden by thoughts and thoughts are so polluted by culture and Mm. and culture is so fucked up i mean if you were to listen to the messages of billboards and advertisements which are reflecting culture you you would get pointed in such terrible directions
0: absolutely all
1: you do is like buy things and then buy more things that that's what the
0: that's what the messages are and you would be convinced that you are absolutely not enough ever inadequate ever <laughs>
1: yeah i mean capitalism totally depends on us feeling being vulnerable to the idea that we're inadequate as
0: is right it and that's why that. yes it's built on that it and depends and thrives on that and it's so interesting because i think you know and i i'm sure that you've experienced this too like it's I cannot I I I have lost count of the brilliant creative vibrant women that I have met along the way that are convinced that they aren't enough and it's like un kind of unpacking unwinding that um I think is I, I mean for me professionally has been one of my ultimate challenges I've 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 built a whole organization around that but it's mm-hmm but it's, you're right. It's, it's embedded. It's,
1: um, yeah. And that, well, that kind of goes to the great quantification. Like if you're looking for evidence that you're enough or not enough, if you're trying to gauge, like, what's your, what's your Q rating out there, then, you know, there's a lot of ways where it's represented numerically back to you through Followers and likes and the number of books you've sold and the number of downloads to your podcast and the number of reviews of your podcast. And are they, do you have a 4.6 rating or do you have a 4.9 rating? And how many does the podcast that you compare yourself to have? And so it's no wonder that people have this kind of running concern, but that goes to the greatest single active agency we all have, which is, to what do we attend so right. with the podcast i remember in the early days with susan george who was my first producer and our mutual friend and someone i love and miss
0: um, uh, someone i love as well yes yeah, she's yeah, just a
1: beautiful person brilliant and delightful and funny um all the great things that a woman can be and but anyway i would get i would i would if I were to follow my moods, as I was recommending to my children, if I were to like keep the inventory running, the things that lit me up were having conversations like this one. Mm-hmm. And the things that dragged me down were looking at our numbers because I thought that we should be growing faster. And And then enter agency. And then it was like, I'm not gonna look at these numbers. Right. I'm gonna take a month off. And let them do what they're gonna do. Cause you could re- hit refresh all day long.
0: Yeah. The, more, like I refresh, the, the more I hit refresh, the more I hit refresh.
1: Yes. Yes, it's a terrible habit. It's a terrible, terrible habit. And um and habits were
0: meant to be broken. Mm. So what changed when you attended to, to what, the work? I was just in the a work. better mood.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was just in a way better mood. Yeah. And you know, that's what you're doing. And, and honestly, like, even if your numbers doubled or tripled, it would just be a matter of time before you wanted them to double and triple again. I mean, that's the, that's, a, I think a little human nature. It could be one of those things that seems like human nature, but it's really American nature. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's like a global worldwide across time and culture feature, built in unavoidable feature of humanity, or if it's just a lot of cultural submersion in in a place where we're so deeply enmeshed with achievement culture. But you just would, within a matter of days, start to wonder, God, I wonder if you could get to
0: the next level.
1: You know, and like I, that, that, that thought's coming back.
0: Right, right. It's interesting. I was thinking about a choreographer that I used to work with who said that all she cared about was how quickly she could get back into creative flow when she lost it. And the things that pull us out of creative flow are exactly what you're talking about, right? Like we, we start measuring ourselves. We look for external validation. We like, and so she was just like, all I care about. I I don't try to, I don't create an unexpected, a, a false reality that I could possibly stay in creative flow all the time all i try to do is get back to it as quickly as possible when i lose my way
1: yeah yeah now i'm talking about something that a state that you could only pursue if you did not have um serious financial consequences to those not nu- that related to those numbers right so i'm married my husband has an income i have an income from previous efforts and other projects and so in that sense it's it's okay for me to look away a little bit because I have multiple revenue streams, both my own and my husband's. And I have saved, I mean, I'm 56, I've saved. I would love to save. I'm not a spender. And, uh, so, you know, I just want to flag that because if you're, you know, a person who is holding your family together and you gotta get the right numbers so that you can get the right ad dollars so that you can get the right after tax income to take care of people, then you're going to have to live by the numbers live by the numbers die by the numbers in which case I sort of wonder if there's a way to preserve your relationship with your creative work by sort of having a day job where it's like there's a thing I do for income and health insurance and then there's a thing I do that you know is 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 totally feeds me gets me out of bed in the morning like that maybe you should see if there's a way to detangle the two so that you don't, your creative flow doesn't get crushed with economic concerns. 100%. I mean, that, is, that has assumptions baked into it too, that it may not be realistic. I mean, that's just a lot of hours
0: that you got to find in a day. Um, it's interesting. I, I used to be a professional dancer and um, one of the things that happened for me, you know, my... Uh, In my early 20s, I had a mentor who said when I wanted to really pursue a career in dance, and I just assumed that I would wait tables like all, you know, like all the other artists before me. And she gave me this kind of new idea that I, I had a bit of marketing experience. And she gave me this kind of idea of like, well, you could do freelance marketing consulting and, you know, and maybe that is your waitressing that affords you the ability to live in San Francisco and pursue a dance career. And, and it was, it really was like a, like an unbelievable gift that she gave me of new perspective. But what ended up happening was that, you know, there was such, that was, you know, that was two full-time jobs. And then when I layered on top of that, being a mom, that something had to give. So you like, it is a, there are, you know, there are always possibilities of how you put together um you know how we can realistically live and, and work in this world and often pursue creative passions that are notorious for not paying us until and un, you know until you run out of minutes. <laughs> like that's for me it that's was right. like right. you know I, I had to make some hard choices when when I had two kids because it was no longer tenable to have two full time professions that were both right. very taxing. Yeah and two yeah. children. I mean
1: there I mean sometimes I think, you know, the creativity is really tested by limitations. Like, it's like, okay, so here's where I am in life. I got 10 years where I got to make this much money because I got to cover this many costs for this many people. And so what, what, how do I keep some thread alive? You know, the 10 minute a day kind of model, which is right. so that I know that 10 years from now, once I meet these, Financial requirements and people are taken care of. That I, I have a way to like drop back in, or I have that part of me is like still alive. Although I think it's a rumor that, and I think it's a rumor we tell ourselves that it dies. I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. The creativity, so, you mean? No, the, I, th- I no. think it's like in there. I think it's like woven into you. And I, and I, I agree. I think it's woven into most people. I mean, I, I don't think that. Um. You know, it's it's just a matter of definition, like, you know, doesn't mean that most people are painters or dancers or writers, but like creative is creative, like figuring out how to glue together a family schedule in a way that works for everybody. Can be a very creative exercise.
0: A hundred percent. I have a bookkeeper who I think is so creative in the way that she presents numbers to me in a way that I get. There's <laughs> I mean, like, uh-huh. there's so many ways to be creative. I I do think it's inherent in all of us, and and I think the light can be dimmed and it can feel hard to access it mm-hmm. when we feel um, like unvalidated and, and even, and burnt out. Like I'm still imagining you, you know, like looking at those numbers and hitting refresh and hitting refresh for me, that created that energy. You know, when I was really having to shift my business, um, after the pandemic shut down our spaces, um, that energy of like rescuing something, tending to something, measuring something, watching the numbers, hoping, praying, crossing my fingers, it burnt out the space for creativity. And it's like, it was still in there, but it was squished. (laughs) Yeah,
1: sure, sure.
0: So it's interesting to me. And I'm curious, you know, I, I, and I'll ask this question outright. I think a lot of people look up to you as someone that can, you know, really access a place of storytelling and vulnerability and beautiful words. And, and it, it feels like your creativity is on the front burner, but I'm sure that you have had those experiences too of burnout and or what like you said you had to take a month off from looking at numbers or maybe even from from creating the podcast altogether i'm not sure
1: yeah i mean i don't think of it as burnout but there are there are of course periods of like deep distraction right where all things come to a, to a stop so if you have a kid in crisis like no mm-hmm. way nothing else matters you can't get there i can't i can't i can't care about anything Uh, like what what i would say these periods are where i'm quote unproductive or on pause is really the way best way to think about it the most neutral way to think about it because i think it's important how we think about things i think like strive for neutrality when you talk to yourself um when it's on pause it's because something has come along that makes it all look a little silly Mm -hmm. so there are like probably the most dangerous set of thoughts i have in terms of bringing it all to a screeching halt are who could possibly care there are five million podcasts i mean random house publishes thousands of books a year there how much content is there on television how many interview shows are there like if i got hit by a bus tomorrow like the the hole would fill instantly. The the water would cover it and you'd never know there was a person there. And, And that's true. That's just a true thing. There's a lot of content in the world and I'm not that special. And it is also true that like every week we get these emails. And so for some people, for the little tiny sliver of a corner of the world who is tracking me and my shit, it's helpful, it's useful. And it sort of matches my perspective about everything I do, which is, yes, you're making things that are really helpful to people, to some people to some little handful of people. And that matters, they're real people, and they're living real lives. And if it makes you feel better and feel more ready for whatever happens in your life next, like that is good work, that is work I am proud to provide. And if you weren't getting it from me, you'd get it from somebody else. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of people that have really, really good content to share. That they put a lot of care and love into their work. That you know are 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 translating um, intelligently and and with some
0: wisdom to what is needed. I agree with you, and I think it's because each of us is so unique and are. Our- pain and experience and joy and grief and wisdom and, you know, and heartbreak and friendship, like all of that is, it's like, we have it in common and the combination that we have kind of put together to come to this place in our lives. It, it creates such a unique, like almost like DNA strand mm-hmm. that, and that I think for that reason, your uniqueness resonates with my uniqueness in a way that could never be replicated. Do you know what I mean? Like when I, when I read your book the feeling that i had could i go pick up another book sure <laughs> you're right it's true but i i do think it's i actually think you know if i think of what puts me in creative flow it's the excitement of that of that like wow we each of us has something unique and we don't know how that touches somebody else's unique thing and yes. resonates and i get yes. really excited
1: about that <laughs> yes yes and that goes to um Stop summarizing, be specific,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is to say, it's only unique if I bother to give you the detail. Mm-hmm. If I summarize, if I say, I had a hard day, and then you give me the face that says, Tell me more. And then I say, Oh, you know, kid stuff. And then you give me the face that says, Tell me more. I say, mm, You know, George is struggling at work. You give me the face and i say well, there's somebody there she feels like doesn't have her back and then give me the face like the it's the specificity that is gift. Right. and right. when i'm writing the my editor is this guy named andy ward who's really beloved in publishing he's very very uh well known in those circles um he published he edits like judd apatow and lena dunham and george saunders and and lucky 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 me and He says, stick with story. Mm. No punchlines, only story. And that, I, I just think interpersonally, it's true too. Like I just had the best long conversation with these friends of mine, Jeff and Michelle. We didn't summarize. She just told me a story in like really granular detail. And I just listened to the story carefully. That was it and it was so much more impactful right for both of us than it would have been if we had tried to do that thing that people want to do which is say well it's a great you know that's growth like it's a great experience or you know (laughs) just some crap right slap on top of something complex it just ruins it like just let it be there and and it's unbelievable,
0: challenging complexity. That's- it's so interesting because I think about my female friendships, Um, you know, Susan George being a, a dear, dear friend of mine that who's our person in common, but, you know, the best female friendships are the ones that go there. Kind of, I hate to say it, but go there faster where there's no pretense. You go to what's true. You go to what's honest. There's space to like, like go to like, like the time peeling back the onion is faster. You know what I mean? Like, like I think we've all, yes. well, I shouldn't say all, but I know I have completely lost patience for a small talk. I can't do it anymore. I yeah. can't, like cocktail party talk just crushes my soul because of exactly what you're talking about. Like, yeah. I want to. I wanna go to what's real or just be in the same room together. Like we don't have to be, you know, right sharing the deep, dark secrets all the time, but like, but staying on the surface is like, it, it crushes me more than it used to. Yeah. And that's,
1: you know, that's writing and that's podcast conversations and that's interviewing people. It's like knowing how to get there yeah, faster. And then, you know, having the, just the deep confidence to stay there. Right. To not rush it along to not like
0: come all the way back up you know like just let's let it sit right there that is certainly you know and I know you have written and talked so much about grief and loss of people that you love and you know so much of what I am fascinated and committed by is just that the people that i have seen make such incredible transformation in their lives often make it from the darkest hour right like it's like it often comes from a place of real darkness real grief real confusion of like who am i without this person or loss of you know identity as it relates to someone that that either died or left you or whatever it is right like but but that real dark place of loss I've just seen time and time again again if we look at like if we're talking about like historical data over the course of a decade of doing this work I just see time and time again like this incredible profound transformation that comes from that place and I think it's because of exactly what you're talking about like it's when we are willing to inspect it and be in it and feel it and And often have someone that we can just go there with, talk, really talk about it and get I mean, the cliches around grief are so brutal of like, oh, they're in a better place now. Or so, you know, some of those like kind of crazy wackadoodle dumb things that people can say to you when you're hurting. And what you're talking about is, is, is not just being willing to be vulnerable as the person that's sharing but being willing to hold space for that pain as the person that's listening, yeah, and for
1: the specifics of it, mm-hmm. like it's just it's it's you're either like clearing space so that they can give you the whole story, right, or you're tidying it up and pushing it pushing it along and and trying to get to the dismount the, the dismount of the story. And Mm -hmm. and you see it all the time. I mean, and I, I mean, I, I I love him. I love my husband to death, but like, I watch him do it. I watch him nudge it along. And I Mm -hmm. think, oh my God, Edward, this is, this is a, this conversation, this story wants to be about 20 minutes. And we've been talking about it for three. Right, like, it is not time to
0: to tie it up and
1: start talking about the golden state warriors or the eagles like we're we're staying like and that you know like reading somebody's body language and and having a decent barometer of when they want to do the 20-minute version right like you got a clue into that that you have to like hear that you have to it's almost like how big is the increment that was represented by the last sentence? Is it a minute, or is it six months? Because if it's a minute, what they're trying to tell you is, I want to go. I want to give you the blow by blow. And if they're giving you like this, if you're moving in six month increments, they were just going to sweep through it, right? To be a quickie. They don't want it. They just did it with somebody else last weekend. They just did it with their therapist. They just wrote in their journal. Not today but like reading that it's just incredible it's actually like a it's the skill of a lifetime to be in a conversation in a way it's so subtle in a way that really serves the person but if you're if you have to switch to serving yourself and your own discomfort then that's going to trump what's happening with the other person. So if right. it's starting to get like a little intense for you, that you serving yourself will, will get in the way. But if you have the faith to say like, it's fine. She doesn't want anything from me. She doesn't want an answer. She doesn't want a solution. She doesn't want a bromide. She doesn't want a maxim. She wants to tell the story. Right. It's like, right. Go, Go ahead. I'll never forget driving around with Claire about, I don't know, six months into the pandemic. She was a junior, then a senior during the pandemic. And, um, she's very level-headed person who, and she's not, she's not prone to whining and she just kind of cracked and said, I'm so sick of this shit. This is like ruining my life. Like I'm not having, it's like you work your whole life to be like a senior in high school.
0: Like Mm -hmm. everything's
1: supposed to be so fun when you're a senior in high school, you did all that work. You took all those APs, you busted your ass on all those stupid applications. And it's not fun at all. I'm not having fun at all. Right. And I said, go on. And she's like, basketball, like I can't, I can't play any of the sports, indoor sports. And so I'm not exercising. And all I do is sit around and eat. So I feel fat and ugly and blah, 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 go on. I see like two people, and one of the people I see is super uptight about the germs, and the other person I see is not uptight about the germs. Then my two people found out that I was seeing both of them. And the person who's uptight said she doesn't want me to see the person who's loosey-goosey because she thinks I'm gonna be carrying COVID back and forth between the two of them and ruining her whole like vacuum-sealed life. Go on. Right. I mean, Grace, she must have had 18 things. She went on for 40 minutes. Like all this stuff i'm so sick of my room i could scream like i cannot i i watched the other day i watched television for 11 hours like right Right. television for 11 hours um i you know i used to like want to go like buy clothes and like put together little outfits but like for what just on and on and on and i was like this is so instructive to me that to not stop this to just in fact to elicit it to elongate right. it and it's a it's a funny tension in my marriage and it's possible that he's right and i think sometimes he is right for sure where he's like it's how do you know you're not making it worse how do you know you're not generating like rumination and i always say like it's it's just my experience as on my side of the equation that when i get it all out I just feel a lot lighter like even if they don't have anything to say about it and i have any advice and have any way to point me nothing i just feel a little lighter just based on their expression of, which right. is to say the expression of yeah 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 like i know i know like i know i love those words i know like way better than you should or did you try or that's so separating but like i know is like great let's just all uh, let's just Sink
0: into it just for a second. And then we go on with our days. It's so true. And and you know, I think about the times that I have been afraid to say too much for fear of being judged for piling on. Do you know what I mean? Like that idea of like kitchen sinking. Yeah. Now you're just like, now you're piling on. Like you have an emotion and you're like piling on, and then there's this, and then there's that, and then there's this, and then there's that. And I have held back in conversations before. Because I thought, like, I can't do that to this person. Yeah. and yet what it what, first of all, what a gift to be trusted with holding all of that. Like what a gift it can be as a friend on the other side to say, like, I'll just hold that for you, let it out, and you will you'll, you know, you things won't be solved. I won't tell you how to fix it, but you will feel lighter and I will hold it. And that's such an honor. like it's such an honor and that also, you're
1: it's probably true. Like when you're saying I'm holding back because I don't want to seem whiny or like a victim or like I'm I'm kitchen sinking them. You know, it's probably true that the person you're talking to has had that moment, too. And it's totally like, great. You're 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 a baby sometimes, too. Right. You know what I mean? Like we are. But it's fine. You're allowed to be a big, fat baby sometimes. And if you but, show me that yes. baby sometimes and I'm going to be a big, fat baby with you sometimes and then we can laugh about it later you know, right. tomorrow we could be like, whoa, that was really, I was really just feeling. I feeling went there. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> and you can, you'll come out of it. It's fine. Yeah.
0: I think it's, I, I mean, and again, it's kind of what I was talking about with your style of writing and storytelling and interviewing is just, if it's honest, even when it's ugly, like it just, I, I think we just crave it. You know, I, I think about when I was, first studying dance in San Francisco, I studied with Alonzo King, who's the artistic director of Lyons Contemporary Ballet. And he would say to us, you know, and there's like a a famous video that he has done that where he had these words, but he said this in class too. He would say, women don't be pretty. It's a lie. Like be beautiful and tell the truth. And I, and I, it it stuck with me. Great. Oh, he blew my mind. But then, and you would think about like, what are the ways that this translates as an artist? Like how, how can I, like, if pretty is a lie and nice is on the surface as an artist, as a creator, as a, an entrepreneur, as a parent, and there's all these ways that we can like, how much more beautiful is it to tell the truth?
1: So great. That's like the best thing I've heard in a long time. Don't be pretty, be beautiful. Mm-hmm.
0: That is it's, so different that's such a different thing it's it's I agree and it I feel it and I get the shivers even as I say it. it and it it's also that it's this you know it's similar to that concept of like the difference between nice and kind right like yeah you know nice is like that surface level conversation yeah and kind is when the is the the deeper resonance of the truth yeah and and sometimes it's not pretty to be kind. You know, sometimes it takes like being willing to go there. It like being like willing to show up for the ugly cry. Like yes. that's yes. kind. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious. Um, you know, I know I was so informed, like I was, you know, the example I just gave you of with Alonzo King and as a dancer, like there's so much that I feel like I learned. I, I don't dance as much anymore. I wish I could say I did. I, I mean I don't usually use this language but I probably should honestly I probably uh-huh. should um because it for me it was such like a like a flashlight you know like of like where I was and and how I related to you know me as an individual in this body in space in you know connection to other human beings whether they're watching you or dancing with you or or teaching you you know like I just I I think about what I learned as a dancer so much for what I do now. And I'm curious for you, like, how do you use writing and your work as these tools? Like how, how do you, how does that incorporate into creating what's next for you? Like, how do you use your expression?
1: I mean, I love words and I, I mean, probably even more than writing has been reading for me. Mm-hmm. Like and the and and also grad school. Like in grad school, my first professor was this guy Michael Krasny, who yes, of, course. of people will know that he had a um, a radio show for twenty years called Forum on KQED, and but he was my professor, my first professor at San Francisco State, which I had thought of wrongly as like um, a fancy book club. I was right. a total snob. I was like, I've never heard of San Francisco State. I'm from Philadelphia. So I'm thinking of all these Northeast colleges. And it was like, how hard could this be? Ha ha ha. Like these people, the pe- people who go to get a master's in English lit at night are these people in my class were brilliant. You know, they are reading 2000 pages a week. They're reading criticism. They're putting it all together. And it's a very specific kind of intelligence, like right. literary analysis. And Krasny was such a specific communicator. He said something very specific that could only be one thing ultimately. And he did it because he had this enormous working vocabulary. He used, I mean, he used so many words in a given three hour class that I had a running list of words to look up when I got home. And that specificity was very attractive to me I was like that is the coolest thing a person could do because it's the foundation of connection right like what when he's saying something very small and detailed about a plot point or a way a character was developed in the scene I'm connecting with him in a in a peculiar, never to be repeated way. Mm-hmm. And it really made me aspire to specificity. And I think of, of, of all the things that have affected me reading people like Marilyn Robinson is a real someone I really admire. I mean, a lot of people admire her. She won the Pulitzer and she's generally agreed upon to be brilliant. Um, but reading reading her, reading Margaret Atwood, sitting in Krasny's class, and a lot of the professors at San Francisco State, because if, if you read a lot of literature, you get really good at talking. You get really good at explaining an idea. And that stuff can be so soft and, um, and they gave it an edge they, they gave it they drew it very carefully with a fine right. point, and and i i really admire that and to the extent that the net effect of all 400 interviews and all this work on pbs and all this writing which is really rewriting and word choice and sequencing to the extent that that makes me able to connect more specifically with other people.
0: Uh what a great outcome. Right. Right. I'm so fascinated by that of like the choices we make, sometimes without knowing why we're doing them and how they inform us kind of going again, if if the purpose of this podcast is to explore next chapters and that can often feel so uncertain of like, what do I do now? And how, who am I now? And why do I feel so stuck? And all the, you know, these ideas, like, and if the purpose of this kind of podcast is to, is to understand the things that take us closer to clarity, that's, that's been the biggest surprise for me of like, we do, we take these actions. We make these decisions. Some are big, like going to grad school, some are small, and they all come together to inform and guide this kind of opening of our lives of like where we're gonna go from here. And I I know, I know,
1: I, I'm watching my kids do it right now. So I'm watching Claire, Georgia's in the world, she has a job, she graduated in May, but Claire's looking for a summer job after her junior year in college. And, And I feel her and hear her so wanting to know, if I do this, then this will I hear all of her assumptions exactly if I Do this, then this is going to happen. And it's like if you do that, you have no idea what's going to happen because you think you're doing it for this reason. But turns out the takeaway is this. You right. fall in love with the guy sitting next to you at work. You decide you hate computer science. The person that you work for takes a new job next summer and calls you and says, do you want to be an intern at my big company? Or my little startup like you just have to right. be comfortable with the fact that you get into something you settle in and you stay porous and that somewhere in there a little and a little pebble is going to appear that you can step out on but that's it you you got you can't stop telling yourself that you know that a leads to b For all you know a leads to
0: f and f leads to z and z leads back to b I could not agree with you more because I think that that is where stuckness comes from. Stuckness comes from the expectation that we will be able to lay out all the pathways and bricks in order to get to this outcome that we've decided is perfect for us. (laughs) And And that's where we become frozen.
1: (laughs) It's so stupid. It's so stupid. There's so few jobs like that. And there's so few careers like that. That that's something that's like utterly evident after 400 interviews is, that is not how people's lives work unless you go right. to like med school. And you even know, then, like, there, even then you're like, I thought I was going to be in obstetrics, but then it turns out I love pediatrics. But then once I got out, I realized I was a writer. So then I wrote this book and the book was really popular. And now I give right. speeches about pediatrics and now I'm teaching in a medical school because the thing I said in my book, you know, yes, like just one, one step at a time, not because that's all you can handle, but because that's all that is knowable. Right. Right. Of course you could plan it all out. And of course people want to, but like, you can't see very far. You can't see nearly as far as you, as people think they should be able to. Exactly. The next step.
0: Well, and one of the things that, that, you know, I work on with women in the Hyrie community is, is when you don't know what to do, like connecting kind of to your deeper why for why you would do it. You know, like I know for me, my deeper why is is kind of the earlier part of the conversation. I just get so excited about the unique potential that lies in each of us that I wanna see it and know it and I want it to be shared. You know, I get really excited about that. But what do you think of for right now? Like, what's your deeper why in your work? Like, what's what's kind of-
1: Sometimes it's just an, a really honest curiosity to see what it would take to make X. Mm-hmm. Like, I really wanna make a movie only because I wanna know what it is to make a movie I want I just want to live the experience of making a movie I want to understand how all the pieces come together and you know it's like a puzzle that I want to do um sometimes my why is like oh I have this opportunity like something there was an incoming moment you know because I'm out there because I have I'm in the sort of public eye in some small way like sometimes something comes to me that's like oh sure I'll try that that's kind of fun yeah um, and uh and then it's like, well, I wonder how you could do that better than it's typically done. Like I'm interviewing Matthew McConaughey next week. He's been interviewed 2,000 times and it's like, oh, this is kind of fun for me like what how could you do it in a way that it hasn't been done yet? Yeah and to and to what end like what what could you? offer in that conversation that would be more than just the audience thinking, oh, my God, he's such a funny guy. Oh, my God, he's such a talented guy. Oh, my God, what a nice guy like they can get that. That feeling is available. They can they can get that feeling in lots of different places. But like what would what could the conversation yield that would be like, you know, I went and saw this woman talking to Matthew McConaughey, and it was so interesting because what what they really got to was, so sometimes I like to imagine whoever's listening, watching, or reading whatever I'm putting out. And like, what would I, what would the dream be that they would say? Like, I used to imagine it all the time with my books, that people would close the book at the end and look at their spouse and like, what do I want them to say? Was, mm. I mean, I often wanted them to say like, oh, that was worth every minute. Because I feel like reading a book, is like a big Gift, like that's a real commitment. Right. <laughs> it's not just like buying a candy bar, drinking a cup of coffee. It's like a whole thing. You spend a month with it and you're choosing it over all the other ways that you could spend your disposable minutes. And I just want people to feel like it was so worth it. But imagining them hearing it, watching it, or reading it helps me try harder. Yeah. It helps me not phone it in because it's like, I'm taking, they're giving me time. Right. Like whoever's listening to this, like is listening to this whole conversation. It's like an hour of their life. Like they right. like they, they didn't exercise, their beds aren't made, their kids crying, you know, like, and so it's like, what can
0: I make it worth it to you? Mm. That's, and it's, and it's beautiful, but it's connected. It's connected to this generosity that I think is really, that's really beautiful and really motivating. I'm going to remember like that. respect.
1: It's like, I yeah. just respect. I respect everybody's time. In a a world that is full of things to put in your head. Yeah. And then if you picked me to put in your head for a minute,
0: I really want to be worth it. Yes. Yes. Mm. That's really beautiful. Well, it is worth it. It's, it's. I mean, I, again, I adore your podcast. I know that there are so many people listening to this that will jump over and listen to your podcast as they do on a regular basis. Um, I guess my last question for you is, what would you say, you know, to someone that is listening that feels really unsure of what to do next?
1: Do something that f- small, just small, just a little thing. Yes, like You can, you can add, you can like go into the world and like pull something into you that will make your capacity to do whatever the thing is a tiny bit greater. And it's not, it's not like an idea. It's a fact. Like if you want to open a cafe. And you just said, I'm going to Google like the last five cafes that were open in my zip code. Right. Like just that tiny thing that might take you like, I'll take you no time to Google it, but you know, you might sit on the computer for 15 minutes and it's like that, or looking at Instagram for 15 minutes. But at the end of the 15 minutes, like you're slightly more capable than you were 15 minutes ago of like taking the next step yes yes looking up the prices of the kind of turkey you like because you're going to make these sandwiches out of this turkey like just knowing that number it's just a tiny you're tiny bit closer to being having enough information to make the move so like just the tiniest tiniest moves will actually increase your capacity it's not Mm -hmm. just for so that you can say you did something or whatever it's literally making you more ready
0: to do the thing whatever the thing is so true and and tiny uh, tiny actions that are connected to a deeper yearning go somewhere they go forward
1: so energizing it's so energy yes
0: yes oh Kelly. You're the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation. And I know our listeners will be so happy to hear from you. And I, I just, I thank you for all the work that you do, all the, the wisdom that you share with us and the wisdom that you give others, the safe container to, to share of their own story. So you're doing beautiful work in the world. Thank you so much You too, grace. Thank you so much. I hope you found this episode helpful, idea provoking and inspiring especially if you're in the midst of creating or clarifying your next chapter. I can't even put into words how much I appreciate you, your vulnerability, your stories of creating a life and meaningful work amidst adversity, grief, ever-changing and challenging times, and of course, life's peaks and uncertain valleys. You are seekers, wisdom sharers, and artists of life, and together, we can build meaningful next chapters that feel aligned with who we really are, what we're put on this earth to do, and how we can make a difference one human being at a time. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And I would love it if you could leave a review for the art of what's next. If you know someone who wants to create a new chapter or would appreciate this episode, please share it with them. You can text it to them or email them the link or post about the show on your Instagram. If you want more help in creating your own meaningful next chapter, join the Hivri newsletter to get inspiration, stories, and resources to help you create your next chapter like an artist. Sign up at thehivri.com forward slash podcast, or at the link in the show notes.